0: Hello and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security episode 83, where I get to do something uh, that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Breaking news, breaking news alert. We have breaking news today. So how you doing, Joe?
1: All good. Um, Yeah, we do have breaking news. This week, there's a bombshell news in cybersecurity. Um, The Lockbit infrastructure has been seized, most of it. There were people arrested. And there's a decryption tool available now for Lockbit. So if you've been a victim of them and you followed our advice of keeping your data for as long as possible and not paying the ransom, here's your payout. Now you can get the decryptor and get your files back.
0: So for for anyone listening live, the links are already there on the YouTube uh, video that we're recording this on live. So I have all, I'm proactive this time, I have all the links there. Already, there's only one more thing I'll be adding to the show notes that we will mention later, but we have to get into this lockbit story because this is, um, this is very interesting, to put it lightly.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so many things to, to talk about on this one. Um, and with Lockbit being busted, um, this is the, the third of the big three names in in ransomware that have been taken down. It was Alpha, Alpha Blackcat, Conti, uh, and now Lockbit. And those account for the majority of the ransomware infections over the past three or four years. Um, This is really a big thing. There's lots of law enforcement agencies involved. Like we've talked about in the past, you're not really going to solve um, ransomware or cybersecurity at all. Uh, At the national level, it has to be transnational, it has to be cooperation between different countries and different agencies, and it's exactly what happened in this case.
0: Mm Yep, lots that's a team effort, and we have some uh, big people on this one.
1: Absolutely so there were arrests in poland and ukraine there is that decryption tool there were 200 crypto wallets that were seized so that includes lots of money uh, from payments and from ransoms that these guys got and yeah and the way law enforcement is handling this after the the successful raids that they did this is amazing they're really trolling the the lockbit affiliates
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, according to uh, you know, one of the links we'll be posting, uh, this is from Reuters, um, they, based, they have more than, hit more than 1,700 organizations. And according, again, according to the article, nearly every industry, and I'm quoting here, from financial services and food to schools, transportation, government departments, um, they've described the group as the, their top ransomware threat. Well, at least they were.
1: At least they were. Um, Yeah, and we've talked about um, ransoms and infections that happen from these guys. And we've talked about the the economics of ransomware as a service, which is what these guys provided. So they have this entire infrastructure in place. Uh, You basically go to them, you pay them an amount, it's usually a percentage of the ransoms that you extract from victims, and they handle the rest. They do the money laundering, they provide you with the the software, they give you the infrastructure to receive the payments, to talk to your victims in case they want to haggle the price. Um, They are behind all of that. And the the numbers are really staggering on this. Uh, They have uh, over 180 affiliates or had over the past couple of years. Not all of them were active at the same time. And um, as I was saying, law enforcement is actually being quite snarky about it. They have this message up when you're an affiliate and you try to log into the service And let me see if I find it again, yeah, so, and I'm quoting, um, law enforcement has taken control of LockBit's platform and obtained all the information held on there. This information relates to LockBit group and you, their affiliate. We have source code, details of the victims you have attacked, the money extorted, the data stolen, chats, and much more. You can thank LockBit support. Which is supposedly the handle of the the administrator behind Lockbit, for their flawed infrastructure for this situation, and we may be in touch with you very soon. In the meantime, have a nice day. See how friendly they are.
0: Yeah, at least they're friendly. And um, I'm gonna. This is the. This is what I was referring to earlier. The one thing that's not in the show notes, but it will be after uh, the close of the live recording. We'll have a screenshot of this, provided by Jao, uh, and also wherever he got that from. But basically. It, it's just it's interesting to see what they see and have a screenshot of this, and it's exactly what we're saying. It's a, it's snarky, but it ends it ends nice at least. <laughs> They're polite. So,
1: yeah, um, law enforcement is also handling this situation um, somewhat similarly to how Lockbit um, showed their their victims. They had this website where they did the announcements of new new victims that were ransomed. And they would provide the name of the victim, some small snippet of data to verify that it was true. And then they would have this countdown, this counter going down uh, until the moment you could pay the the ransom. If you fail to do that, then the data would be unrecoverable, which we now know is a lie. Um, But... um, Law enforcement is now also doing something similar. They have this counter up on the same website where they say that after this amount of time we will release the information, the, um, the identity of up, the supposed admin. Um, and they do this in the same infrastructure because they took over the infrastructure from LockBit. They have the announcements on the same website using the same format. Um, one of the things that... That security websites and security news outlets were doing was that they were monitoring the, these groups' announcement websites so that they could report on the new victims and the big names that were being ransomed and all of that. That's where the, the news websites got their information from. Um, the law enforcement did this in a way that it didn't even broke the the software that was scraping the website so it's using exactly the same format as before it was being fed exactly to the same feed so all the new sites that were scraping this got the information at the same moment that it was posted which is amazing wow.
0: yeah that is that's I mean, I mean to be fair why reinvent the wheel the infrastructure is already there you may as well use it right we don't want to you know s- Write the same code again. Yeah, have, yeah, it was all right there for <laughs> them, so they use the same infrastructure. Why not?
1: Another thing that's really interesting about about all of this is that the Lockbit admins, the ones that weren't caught, obviously, and I'll get into why the not all of them were were arrested, and this wasn't a complete takedown. Um, but they are now kind of salty because they're complaining that the FBI abused a, a known vulnerability to enter their websites and to, to exploit their services. And it turns out that it was a vulnerability that was discovered in November on PHP, and they're running their websites on PHP. And yeah, if it's not ironic that the, the guys behind the ransomware were <laughs> exploited like this, exactly the same way that they usually attack their victims, I don't know what is, it is, but I find it amazing that this happened this way. You see, even the threat actors aren't good at patching. <laughs> <laughs> they the don't even actors, patch their own stuff why? Yeah, the, I mean the nobody's good at it. it
0: no one, no one's good at it not even the threat actors exactly. are good at it I mean.
1: <laughs> the oh threat actors God, are not good at yeah. patching Microsoft is not good at patching how is anybody supposed to be good at patching Yeah.
0: yeah at what point <laughs> do we say patching it just doesn't work, we need a different <laughs> delivery or a different thing so, uh, nah, we and, just need uh, to be
1: on top of the game so what's
0: your kitty's name, by the way? I just had to ask for everyone on live stream. She's <laughs> yeah. speaking up there.
1: Yeah, it's Ghost. Um Ghost. Very silent until it's right on top of me. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> the cat-friendly podcast. So yeah. Anyways. Anyway,
1: where were we? Okay, so back to back to business. Um as I was saying, this wasn't a complete takedown. And this is where the international political situation comes into play. Um, Not everybody was arrested because many of the operators and many of the affiliates are Russian nationals. So they're effectively outside the reach of international law enforcement at this time. And that poses a problem. Um, I was trying to find the source for a report I read a few years back, but I couldn't. So don't quote me on this, consider it anecdotal evidence. But a few years back, I read this report where Ukraine and Russia put together accounted for over 98% of all the malware that was being created worldwide. This was around 2015, 2014. So that's a pretty big number. And when you have that amount of malicious software being developed in a specific region and you cannot enforce law, uh, and you cannot enforce international laws and you cannot prosecute people inside that, those places, that's a really appealing safe haven, safe haven to, to operate. And that's one of the reasons why you see some of these groups continuing to operate in those in those locations in those countries. And they're effectively really tricky to get to. Right now, Ukraine is cooperating for obvious reasons. We won't go into that right now, but it resulted in an, in, um, in an arrest being made in, in Ukraine, even with all the things that are going on around there. So you can imagine how important this thing are, this things is, this operation is, um, and it also explains partially why the, the remaining lockbit admins at this point are still not that worried about it because they know that even if they get doxed by, the, by law enforcement, by the FBI, by the Europol, by whatever agencies are performing this even if they get docs like that they're probably going to remain out they're not going to be caught Uh, the the authorities are not going to take any measure on this however and this is tangentially related this week we had there was also this news that in russia um, a person a person connected to a different group called Sugar Locker, which I don't know if it's an affiliate or not, the name is similar, but is responsible for another strain of uh, ransomware, has been arrested. Um, and that's uncommon enough to, to make the news. So let's see where this leads, but there is still some people that might get away with this.
0: And, and I said this is breaking news at the very beginning because it is. Uh, literally, you know, you sent some links to me. I, I read some articles about it that you sent me. But then today you sent me more because it's literally, you know, um, in progress right now. So obviously this is yet another story. I should probably stop saying this because we could always like go back to a previous story. We we often do. So this one's more than likely one of those. But a, a big effort, a team effort between countries to take down one of the biggest crypto mining uh Almost like a crime as a service kind of thing going on, and you know, they don't patch is another thing we've learned too. So,
1: the, the economic model around ransomware, it's, I mean, it, I don't want to say that I admire this because it's obviously illegal and it's hurting lots of people and lots of different businesses, but it's incredible how this economic model grew around this type of illegal activity and exploded completely into what it is today. Um, we're talking about. A group that had in the past year over a hundred million dollars just by themselves. The other two groups all put together over three hundred million dollars over a year. That's a lot of money to be made from ransomware, from hurting people and from hurting organizations. And I don't know about these guys, but Conti, for example, one of the other groups, they had an HR department, they had employees yes, of the months.
0: I was just about to mention that. I can't yeah. remember who it was, but you know, some people I mean, obviously, every threat actor is going to be different, but you know we generally think of it like someone in their basement or or garage computer room or whatever it is, just doing what they do. But um, it's just so interesting the actual direction that this goes because it's it's not often like that. Imagine going to work. I'm not saying we should imagine this as ourselves, but imagine somebody going to work. You know, they they go to the coffee room, they get coffee, they have some water cooler talk, they ask how the kids are doing and, and then they sit down with their coffee to do some work and then the work they're doing is crime. And then if they have a, an issue with another person on the team, they can go to HR, they could do this, they could do that, but it's all illegal, but it's run like an actual company and it doesn't legitimize it, um, you know, because we don't think of it that way, but it's, I wish I could, I hope I could find that article at some point because I feel like it'd be so great to pull that out and um, talk about like what it's actually like on the inside
1: it doesn't legitimize them. But there is this intellectual disconnect between what you see happening to the victims and what you see these organizations pull off and what they create and what they are striving to do, which is hitting the maximum number of victims to extort the maximum amount of payout. And the intellectual disconnect that you need to go through to accept that you're working through this and you're earning a living through this. And it's business as usual every day, right. and you have HR, and you have your badge of employee of the month. I mean, it's considerable, the the mental gymnastics that have to take place here.
0: Yeah, You also kind of think, too, that there's, you know, speaking of a disconnect, I mean, there's a, a somewhat of a disconnect at every job. I mean, you could work at a job, I mean sure you might tell your company that you think their project is the most or their their product is the most clever thing in the world but at the end of the day um you know you're you're there for the reason to to do the thing you might not actually use the software yourself i mean there's there's but there's still this disconnect because even though you might not use the software yourself there's going to be or product yourself there's a lot of people that do but you have a disconnect because maybe it's not something that you use or you know in this case it's much worse because it's a um Ethical, moral issue because of what's going on, but it's one thing to do crime, but it's another thing when you know you got to confront the people and the businesses that you're disrupting, and you got to you know um, see the damage that you're causing. It's just horrible that people can do this, but it's it, I feel like it's just even more insulting that it's run like a, a legitimate business when it's anything but.
1: Absolutely, and again, when your main activity, when your main daytime job if you can call it that is doing this type of things man you you really need to think about what you're doing in life and really weight your perspectives there but yeah again not everybody is going to be doing this type of things and thank god it doesn't but it takes something quite different to to be in this situation and find it net find it natural um going back to to these guys going back to lockbit um, you might remember them they were the ones that were exploiting Citrix bleed vulnerability sometime back um, they were the ones hitting um, uh, VMware deployments sometime back um, on both occasions they were hitting specific known vulnerabilities they were targeting them specifically to de- deploy the ransomware and encrypt the stuff and again I cannot feel any Pity of these guys having been hacked at this point.
0: No, I mean there's a hint of karma in here, with the, you know, in this story, in, in multiple angles, especially with their own infrastructure being used to broadcast a message about you know you're next or whoever's reading it or whatever. It's just, yeah, um, it's, it's just a bit of irony, some karma, but it's it's good that this happened. But at the same time, like you said, it's not a complete takedown because you can't it's not going to ever be the case, I I don't think, unless it's like a very small team that they're all going to be in the same geographic area. There's going to be different jurisdictions and different rules, laws and whatnot. So, um, But this was a significant portion of it, though.
1: (laughs) It was. Um, And their infrastructure was supposed to be untraceable. It was hosted on the Tor network, uh, on the Onion network, accessible through Tor. Um, And if you think back to to the Silk Road, the the previous underground marketplace that was around some years back that was also busted. Those guys were caught because they had this piece of code that gave away their their location. They introduced some JavaScript or something into their website and it was able to be traced like that. These guys were able to be traced because they have a vulnerability on their infrastructure. it's interesting that the people that are performing this and are supposed to be criminal masterminds and expert hackers and all of that, then fail at basic stuff like this. As we were saying before, they fail at patching. Yeah, people fail at patching, but if you're operating on the assumption that you want to hack people and you want to exploit their their vulnerabilities and their problems and find the, the holes in their protection, you shouldn't have them yourself. So like you were saying, yeah, this is karma hitting back in a very big way.
0: It, it really is. It, it's it's just, there's there's so much to unpack here. And, and like we are saying, there's going to be more that comes out of this because, you know, there was more that I discovered just today, this morning about this story. So it's um, interesting to see what else comes out of this, but it, it's a big, big hit to, um, it's not going to you know, disrupt the entire industry of threat actors, but it's definitely going to be a dent. So
1: So there will still be information being released. Uh, Law enforcement said that they would be releasing sensitive information on their cryptocurrency and money operations on the 23rd. Um, so that's, let me check the date, two that's two days from now. Yep. Um, they will be releasing information on how they operated with a company called Secureworks. They will be unlocking the, um, the complete affiliate infrastructure today. Um, there is already a list of uh, names out there. If you want to Google it for Lockbit uh, affiliates, you will find this information already. Trend Micro is going to be releasing a detailed analysis tomorrow. Um, there is going to be information on SteelBit, which is another piece of software that they use. They not only deployed ransomware to systems, they also stole the information. This is called a double extortion attack in which you encrypt the data that's in a system, but before you do exfiltrate a copy of it so that even if the person pays to get the data back, you still have a copy of that data and then you can extort more money from them in order not to release it. Uh, So they have a piece of software to do that. There is going to be information released about that later today. Um, There are sanctions already in place announced by the Treasury Department in the US against a series of Russian nationals and uh, um, a list of uh, um, multiple cryptocurrency addresses that are going to be not seized, but uh, they are going to be inspected that the, the exchanges and their transactions are going to be I mean, they're going to inspect this and they're going to find whoever is going to receive the money. If there is one thing with the cryptocurrency is that you don't have the, you shouldn't have the expectation of anonymity just because the numbers that go around seem like they're completely untraceable. They're not. It's very easy to check the ledgers and to check the operations and to see at which exchange it was actually traded for actual uh, fiat currency and where it was uh, transferred to. And with some Japanese partners, the the decryptor tool was released. This is really important and we cannot stress this enough. If your data is encrypted and you don't want, and in our view correctly, pay the ransom, which you shouldn't, um, hold on to that data. You never know when a decryption tool is going to be released. You never know when a command and control server is going to be captured, when the keys will be retrieved those 48 hours that that's crap they're they're lying to you and urging you to pay in that amount of of time right um, and it's
0: just uh, building anxiety to try yeah. to get someone get someone to impulsively spend the money is what they're trying to do
1: um there's already a collection of uh, decryptors out there for different ransomware strands. Uh, if you Google "no more ransom," I believe the the URL, and I'm quoting this from memory, "no more ransom.org." You can find the complete list of decri- available decryption tools. They're free to use. Download the tools, apply it to your data, and you get your data back. And it's you don't no have to pay.
0: no more ransom.org. No, no more ransom.org. It'll be in the uh, the show notes for this in the
1: description. And you don't have to pay any money to anybody. Um, People were arrested, like we said, an individual in Poland, an individual in Ukraine. They are going to be doxing the people in Russia that the law enforcement cannot reach at this point in time. Um, There are already indictments against two associates in the United States. And, yeah, again, um, the national crime... It's the NCA, National Crime Something. It's the agency in the UK that uh, that was a partner in this. They're going to be releasing the, the blog source code and blog information for Lockbit because, yeah, they had a blog to release their news to their affiliates. And this is also now in the open. Again, not a really good day for Lockbit.
0: No, and it, the interesting thing uh, for me, I mean, obviously we know crime doesn't pay and if it does, it only pays long enough for you to go to jail, but... The more I understand, I think this is typical, the more I understand about um, technology, the more I understand that it's impossible to not get caught. There's so many things. And sure, someone could get away with it for a while, but I have to imagine there's some people out there who are not getting caught just because their crime isn't substantial enough for anyone to care, and then they get conscious about it, then they... Uh, they are false, false sense of confidence I meant to say then they become bigger criminals but the fact is once that crime hits a certain level it's just a matter of time because all it takes as we've reported is one packet in the open that's all it takes and that's it and it's done just like that that simple
1: it's the pro-criminal tip of today
0: um, not to yeah, be a criminal I mean, that's your pro-criminal tip it's, it's, you're going to have be spending yeah, time in jail
1: don't don't get greedy. It's not going to end up nicely for you. Rather than talking about people experiencing problems and hacks and people wasting time and all of that. This is actually a feel good story. The bad guys were actually caught and they're actually being punished for this. So yeah, for a change, a feel good story to open the the podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that angle that that's always we need some positivity and security because it's a never ending job for anyone that's involved in it. And I think it. I think we need things like this to let us know that there's, you know, there's there's things to be proud of here. Absolutely.
1: Okay. And as a second story for the day, um, we at TXCARE, we released uh, last week um, the Enterprise uh, Linux and Open Source Landscape report for last year. Um, it's a completely download with no strings attached. You don't have to enter an email. You don't have to provide your information, nothing like that. Just go to taxcare.com. You'll see a banner with the report. Click it, check it. There are some interesting stuff there. And I'd like to go over some numbers that are in that report. Um, and one of them, and again, this is going to date me, but on the very first question that we asked uh, companies, um, we asked them if they are using open source or strictly propi- proprietary software. And there is a staggering 98.5% of companies who admit that they're using open source, um, 45% strictly just open source, and 53% a mix of both. And the reason why I find this number really amazing is that When I started doing IT, when I started working here, there was this stigma around open source. I was just gonna bring that up, thank you so much. It's not reliable, it's not something you can depend on. Um, The whole stack is just hanging by a thread. You never know when it's gonna break. Nobody can help you fix things. So you were gonna stay with proprietary software. And now seeing this, man, this, this really is a game changer.
0: It really is, and, and the one point five percent that you're talking about, or it's actually part of the fifty three point five percent, which is, you know, mixed environment of open source and proprietary. That doesn't surprise me so much. Forty five percent, you know, open source only, like Linux, for example. Forty five percent. That's that's pretty big, uh, of open source only. To put that in perspective, but the one point five percent is surprising to me for the same reason because I can't count how many times. I pitched an open source solution in my career just to have someone say, "Well, it's open source and it's free, so we can't trust it." I would never have expected that number of proprietary software only is down to one point five percent. That's less, as I if I remember correctly, that's less than the Linux desktop market share. <laughs> okay, to put that into perspective, which is a really low number. Okay, yeah, um, it, it legitimately less. I checked a two percent desktop dominance on the Linux side. This is less than that.
1: Yeah, this this is quite remarkable. And again, for these reasons and many more, it's amazing to see the, the shift in the enterprise ecosystem towards uh, open source. Um, let me check. Uh, yeah, uh, another thing that we asked, and I'm not going to cover all of the questions, obviously you should check the report. There's lots of interesting stuff there. Um, one of one thing that we also ask, because this touches on what we do at here obviously we deal with patching and support for older systems and all of that, is that there is still, um, from the people running CentOS, there is still 24.2% running CentOS 6. We're talking about an operating system that hasn't had an official patch in like five years or something like that. And there's still companies relying on it for day-to-day activity. and. Red Hat is running that too. <laughs> they, yeah, out uh, of date. Uh, that was my initial thought when I saw the two topics put together. Um, maybe they were running CentOS 6 and patched, and a significant proportion of those 24.2 percent are doing that without any type of support at all. So they're just running. Okay, we're trusting in blind luck here. Um, that's worrying. If the other one was a great news and the great shift seeing this number here that leaves me more worried than anything else.
0: Yeah, there's lots of great details I flipped through the the um the PDF and and there's going to be a direct link that'll in the description that'll go to the page where you can download it from. But on that page, I mean, the link, in, in Joe ja wasn't kidding, it literally ends in .pdf. That, that You hover over the URL, it's not like contact.htm, like you were saying. You hit that link, it downloads. It's that simple. So that's uh, very, very easy to get your hands on.
1: Another thing that we were interested in knowing about was... Because like everybody else, we've been seeing the news about ARM and how it's all the the ARM servers are the latest and greatest, and everybody loves ARM and all of that. So we actually wanted to know how that translated into actual adoption in the enterprise. And almost 80% of companies are already using ARM servers or are planning to use ARM servers in the next uh, 12 months. Again, really surprising result. I know ARM servers are exceptionally good at the um, the, pri- the performance per watt uh, metric. I wasn't expecting enterprise to adopt it so soon. Um, that was really also surprising to me. Um, and and it's surprising for something that also relates about about the big shift that happened. If say ten years ago you wanted to shift the architecture of your running servers, you had to shift the entire workload running on top of it. So That meant that you had to have software that would run on the new architecture. And that's harder than it seems at first glance. Um, What we're seeing with this big number of, uh, of ARM adoption is that basically the architecture doesn't matter because you can just take a workload from x86 and drop it on top of ARM and it will run. And that doesn't mean that the architectures are compatible per se, but the workloads themselves really don't care about what architecture they're running on. They might just be web-related stuff. They might just be stuff that doesn't actually execute on the server, but is served. Um, I mean, web pages, I mean, JavaScript, I mean, stuff that runs on your browser. So it doesn't really matter that much. And this changes the way how you do stuff like, say, provisioning new new hardware. You can look at metrics that you wouldn't look before simply because it won't affect the, the software that you can run on it. And that's a pretty big shift as well.
0: It is a really big shift. I, I think, I feel like Apple has to be to blame for some of the popularity of ARM lately because um, this isn't like a you know an Apple podcast, obviously, but you know I've, they they did go to their own silicon, and I, I I'm not saying that's the only reason why the numbers are where they are, but I have to imagine it's an ingredient, right? Do you do you agree?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Their popularity, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's how when you're looking for stuff to buy for a company you go with the stuff that you're more familiar with, obviously. So if you've been working directly with it, even in a different format, you might be more inclined to just, okay, this is good. We should use this in the the enterprise. And that's an easier sell if you're already familiar with it. So, yeah, I see Apple having some weight on there on that side.
0: And, and count me as one of the businesses that would like to run ARM servers so I could be part of that percent too. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to being able, I I'm mean, sure. I, yes, you can buy ARM servers right now. So it's, it's not something you can't get, but it's not as common as x86 servers. If you were to go to HP, Dell, you know, all those big names, but anytime now, they're all gonna have ARM servers for sale, just like you'd buy a Edge from Dell. And they might already, but they may not be as common. But at some point, you know, it's gonna be right on the front page of all the sites. Servers, ARM, and it's just gonna explode. And I'm kind of surprised it hasn't, but this number kind of shows that it's it's on the cusp of something, so.
1: Um, and now I'm gonna jump ahead some, some more. And another thing that we looked at is, the perception of risk on the the supply chain. And what I mean by this is we tried to gauge how companies were aware of the risks of the the software stack that they were using. They were just, were they just pulling the the libraries and the, the open source stuff that they needed and deploying it without too much care, without actually worrying about the stuff that happened with those libraries and how it affected everything else that's running on top of it. And it's interesting to see that it's the, it won't happen to me mentality. Until something happens, you're not really too worried about the, the supply chain. And the results that we got here show that there is a direct correlation between experiencing a, a, a breach or experiencing some problem that came from the supply chain, either a malicious library that was pulled, a bad update that broke the application, something like that, and the perception of risk that your company is subject to when using this. Until you experience that, you wouldn't give as much importance to to the supply chain. And this is where stuff like our podcast, for example, it's important. And we like to, to give some awareness to these matters and to shine a light on these problems. But it turns out that until people actually go through them, no matter how many times they read about it, no matter how many times they hear people talking about the issues with supply chain, why it's important, why there's risk there, why you should care, it seems that until it actually hits them, yeah, it's just something else.
0: Right. Yeah, and these numbers, I, I feel like, are, are going to be good to- you know, make a case for change in your organization if you feel change is necessary, or at least just to understand the landscape and you know what's the, what the current state of everything is today. And so, definitely some interesting findings on this report for sure. So, again, everyone check it out. You don't have to sign up for anything, but uh, you know it's a it's a good read.
1: Yep. Um, so, do take a look. Uh, w- we think that it's interesting. We we were obviously interested in asking these questions for ourselves, but it also prints a good a good view of how systems are and how things are operated at the at the enterprise level. Um, again, just to, if you don't want to follow the link, just open taxcare.com. You should see a banner there for the the report. Um, it's the enterprise Linux and open source landscape report. Just again, you don't have to put in your email. You don't have to give us your details, nothing like that. You go to the page, you download the PDF and it's all yours. Enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. No, no password shenanigans or anything. So definitely appreciate the work that's gone into this. And I will be taking a much closer look at it uh, very shortly.
1: So that concludes a feel-good episode for a change. It's not a face moment. It's not a catastrophe episode. We're not just talking about the end of the world every time. This was a feel-good. The, the bad guys are finally having their due, and you have some nice read for the, the few minutes that you want to spare with it. Um, we hope everybody enjoyed the episode, and until the next one. Thank you, everybody.
0: Yeah. Thank you.